Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Some time ago, in another life, I had a job as a tour guide. Every day I'd be in downtown Portland, or in Portland's old town, and talking to large groups of people, mostly tourists, between one to sometimes four times a day, and I talked to them about a variety of subjects. I gave tours about Portland's food scene, about the food carts, about the beer scene, and about history. I talked about things like urban planning, how in the 1970s Portland was considered a model in fighting sprawl, promoting density, turning a highway into a park on the waterfront. I talked about things like public transportation and monuments and all of that, but easily the most popular tour I gave was about bad stuff. And that bad stuff tour, I think a lot of people went into it with skewed expectations. For one, a lot of people thought that a tour about Portland, Oregon's seedy underbelly would be about fun bad stuff. Ne'er-do-wells, saloons, carousing, ladies of the evening, all that kind of thing, and it was. All of those things were on the tour. There was fun bad stuff. But I also talked about actually bad bad stuff, like the destruction of Portland's Japantown during World War II in Japanese internment, or the systematic exclusion of African Americans, starting with Oregon's statehood in 1859 and continuing all the way well into the 20th century, or systems of indebtedness and classism and economic exploitation in Portland's maritime industry in the 1800s. That stuff is bad stuff, but it's not fun bad stuff. So that was a way that I was always kind of Captain Bring You Down on the tours, reminding people that the seedy underbelly of a city also means talking about the things that are kind of uncomfortable. And I'll be honest, I enjoyed making people feel uncomfortable. But the other way that I was able to systematically disappoint people on these tours was with ghost, or rather, the lack thereof. At the start of the tours, at the meeting place, plenty of people, knowing that it was going to be about the dark side of the city, would ask me if I was going to talk about any ghost on the tour. And I said... No, I'm not going to. This is a history tour, not a ghost tour. Most folks understood and said, okay, got it. I see what type of tour I'm on now. Some people would protest and they would say, but ghosts are part of history. And then I would always explain that we did have ghost tours, but they were later. And see, there was a difference between the history tours and the ghost tours. See, the history tours, we actually had to be accurate. We kept plenty of internal documentation for our staff to make sure that everybody was up to speed on what they were talking about, and we did some pretty good quality control to make sure that all of our guides were actually telling people the truth. I and my coworkers evaluated plenty of our guides, old and new, and made sure that everybody was up to speed and accurate about everything, and not just making stuff up, which I'm proud of. I am glad that the history popularization organization that I used to work for had some good Q&A. Ghost tours were different, and when people asked about the ghost tours, here's what I would tell them. 
I'd say the ghost tours are later. They're in the evening and they're at night. And all those guides are actors. Actors, you see, are just much better at drawing a ghost out. We don't know why and we don't know how. But it is something about thespians that allows them to reach out to the other realm and make contact with what's beyond. Most people accepted this answer, smiled, and thought it was pretty funny. Some people continued to not think it was funny and were probably grumpy for the rest of the tour, but whatever. Another stock answer I gave were that my tours were during the day, and the ghost had their own tour much later, at night, because they worked the graveyard shift. I was pretty proud of that one. But me being me, a fairly skeptical guy who really likes accuracy, I did have a little bit of consternation having to share a bit of space with ghost tours. There was part of me that thought, initially, it reflected badly on me and the more history-centric guides. Until I actually went on one, and I had a great time. And I heard this story that many of my colleagues used to close out the ghost tours. The ghost guides had license to make up whatever they want. They could, unlike the history guides, they were allowed to just tell stories, pull things out of the ether, draw upon actual folklore, yes, but also if they wanted to talk about a haunted parking lot and they could sell it, they were allowed to talk about a haunted parking lot. But this story that they used to close their tours with is something that really happened. It happened in 1972 in Ontario with a group of paranormal enthusiasts, a bunch of academics and Mensa members, who decided to make a ghost. Now, this was not a formal psychological study. This was not something that was done in a university with funding and a control group and peer review or anything like that. But I think it's compelling nonetheless. This group of academics and ghost enthusiasts and Mensa members and the like decided to get together and make a ghost that they knew would be fictional. Yes, that's right. They decided to just gather around a table and make a ghost and try to communicate with a ghost that they knew was totally pretend. The experiment was headed up by a mathematician named A.R.G. Owen and a psychologist named Joel Witten. The group got together, placed their hands on a table, all seance-like, and the assy ghost that they decided was there about itself, what its name was, what its deal was. And they heard a rapping, a kind of sound, and they said to the ghost, the supposed ghost, rap once for yes, twice for no. And from this, they were able to learn a whole lot about this ghost nature, supposedly. His name was Philip, Philip Aylesford, and he was born in the 1600s in England. Philip was apparently Catholic. They never got into how his ghost status may have challenged his Catholic theological beliefs, but regardless, he was apparently a fairly talented guy. He distinguished himself early in life and was knighted at the tender age of 16. He was a personal friend of King Charles II. Apparently, he acted as a spy for King Charles and was active during the English Civil War. Later on in his 20s, Philip got married to a woman named Dorothy. Alas, though, it was not a happy marriage. 
Dorothy and Philip were basically in an arranged union and felt nothing real for each other, so it was not surprising when Philip's wandering eye happened upon a Roma woman who happened to be in England. Now, what she was doing there, like, they didn't really get into, but Philip and this Roma woman apparently got on well, eventually started having an affair, and... Unfortunately for our ghostly protagonist, the English authorities found Philip's lover and burned her at the stake. Philip was distraught. He eventually succumbed to grief and took his own life at the age of 30. Now, how he got from England to Ontario after his death is something that they never really went into, and doesn't really make sense unless he got on, I don't know, a ghost ship. But this was the narrative they decided on. Over several sessions of quote-unquote talking to Philip, sometimes the table moved a little bit. A leg of the table came up, it shifted somewhat, and of course everyone involved accused everyone else involved of moving the table. Or of making the rapping noises that they all agreed Philip was making. And if you're like me, and you are a grumpy, skeptical person who doesn't believe in the supernatural or spiritual things or whatever, you might be wondering what's going on here, but the best explanation that I have heard for the Philip experiment is that this was a bunch of adults doing imaginative play, putting themselves in a space where they all basically agreed that they could play, they could imagine. They could agree upon something made up, and in that space, build upon something that was made up, and use that made-up world that they created sitting at a table as a space for fun. And when I heard the Philip experiment described this way, I thought, of course that's what's happening. Of course that is how a bunch of grown, adult, non-ghost-believing academic types ended up making rapping noises, moving a table, and creating this tragic, suicidal, King Charles II knowing ghost that somehow got from England to Ontario, because the Philip experiment sounds a whole lot like Dungeons and Dragons. I've been talking a lot about myself in this episode, I used to be a tour guide, and I also have, from time to time, been known to play role-playing games like D&D where you have a whole bunch of people, grown adults, sit down and agree upon the parameters of a fictional world. And that fictional world is meaningful in the context you create for it. Everybody sitting at a table playing D&D knows that dragons aren't real, and minotaurs aren't real, and the lizard guys that you're fighting in an endless labyrinth, or the skeletons that you're battling to get to an evil necromancer all of those things you made up, but you agree upon space for that fantasy. And in the time and the space that you've given it, that fantasy is meaningful. When I took a ghost tour and my colleagues relayed the story of the Philip experiment, and I heard it described as such, it brought the entire experience into focus. Of course it was play. Of course it was made up but it was meaningful nonetheless. It was fun nonetheless. Supposedly at one point in the Philip experiment, things were getting intense. The fantasy was taking over the room. The table was moving maybe a little bit because somebody was moving it. 
and somebody said, Philip, we made you up. And suddenly the spell was broken. Suddenly they remembered who they were and what they did and what was real. But it's October. It's the season for haunted houses. It's the season for ghost tours. It's the season for horror movies and scares. I encourage you to not give in to superstition. I encourage you to be skeptical, rational, and cool-headed. But I, your friendly neighborhood history podcaster, also say it is okay to indulge in fantasy in its proper time and place. Sit down at the table, look into the eyes of the other participants, all agree why you're there and what you're doing, and create a ghost or anything else you want. Get creative as you learn its history. Make it ornate, improbable. Don't necessarily worry about being accurate or even consistent. Ghost stories are not necessarily the place for that. And if you get too scared, remember, it's always within your power to say, Philip, we made you up. As always, this podcast is 100% listener-supported. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast every month. As always, we're on social media. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert, and go on Apple Podcasts. Give us stars, reviews, all that good stuff. Next time, we continue this month of ghostly, ghastly things with an imagined evil from the distant land of Canada. See you next time. Bye. First time I saw you standing in the street You were so cool you could have put out Vietnam All the girls ask what's he like I see Love.